Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Blister Podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we're talking about a bunch of brand new ski equipment that we've been testing this week at Telluride. To talk about this gear, I'm joined by Blister editors Sam Shaheen and Luke Kappa, and among other things, we discuss the Rosignal Soul 7HD, the new Atomic Solomon Shift binding, the new Line Sakana and ON3P Renegade 114, and a whole lot more. We're going to be getting back on snow in Telluride on March 10, so if you weren't able to meet up with us on this last trip, get yourself to Telluride and meet up with us for Opre or come ski a few laps with our crew. And now let's just get right to it and get to my conversation with Sam Shaheen and Luke Kappa. Sam Shaheen, how are you today? I am doing great. It's a beautiful day. Can't complain. It is a beautiful day. Luke Kappa, how are you? I am also doing well. Cool. Well, we just wrapped up a pretty phenomenal uh, four days of skiing at Telluride. And this is our opportunity to kind of having processed and digested a few things. Uh, We wanted to talk about some of the gear we were on from the trip. But I really do kind of want to just start by talking about those four days, Um, especially given that, uh, well, one, I... Personally, I'm incredibly excited to be back skiing again. And, you know, honestly, I wasn't totally sure how I was going to be feeling about that. And so I had done just a couple of extremely mellow ski tours prior to this Telluride trip, um, just to remember what it was like to click into skis. Um, And then we do have to admit then that I did actually go heli skiing sort of unexpectedly uh with heli tracks at Telluride uh that was actually my first kind of real day back um so Sam Luke really sorry you weren't with me that day I, I missed you guys deeply we, we were pretty bummed when we, when you came up you were like hey I think I think might go heli skiing tomorrow I'm like sweet let's go heli skiing you're like oh no just me <laughs> It was not. It was not planned. Uh, I, I was asked to participate. Um, Helitrax was a phenomenal uh, outfit, and our guide Angela Hawes is just a crazy, like, super sweet, nice, full-on badass. Like I. So anyway, if uh, if anyone ever, uh, if you didn't know, you can heli ski right out of Telluride Ski Resort, uh, and I think Angela's amazing. So. Um, if you're looking for a guide, uh, I can certainly give a recommendation there. But it actually turned out to be pretty good because it was pretty nice to get on a pretty big ski that we had with us. Um, so uh, my heli ski day was conducted on the uh, ON3P Renegade 114, uh, which is actually going to be available in just a few weeks. Um, so we can talk about that. But, but honestly, like, Truly for me, like it was phenomenal just being back skiing and getting to ski with you guys. And we got four straight bluebird days, which was unbelievable. Um, We got to ski the greatest snow in the world, which is chalk. (laughs) In case, in case, seriously, I just, 
chalk, steep chalk is about to replace powder for me as just number one. Is that weird? I don't know. Yeah. Steep corn's pretty good. <laughs> steep corn is really good. Basically steep and then chalk or corn. I mean, no offense, powder, but you get a lot of pub powder. Uh, chalk. I think chalk is where it's at. I'm into chalk. <laughs> I think we all were. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty great. And so, yeah, chalky goodness, bluebird. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I was just kind of giddy the whole time and again super happy to be skiing again so uh but we should probably talk a bit about some of the stuff that we were spending time on and sam why don't we let you get started um we're not going to be able to talk about everything that we got on uh but we'll we'll try to move fairly quickly over a good portion of it and um sam what do you want to talk about first yeah, so um, I think the biggest sort of takeaway for me of the trip was that if you had told me before the trip that my two favorite skis of this first little go at Telluride were going to be the Rosignol Soul 7 HD and the Blizzard Rustler 11, I would have like laughed in your face hmm. because um, I wasn't a huge Rustler 11 fan last year and I just had this preconceived notion of that Soul 7 HD being sort of a wimpy, low energy, intermediate ski. And uh, out of all the skis I got on, those two just were so much fun. Um, that Soul 7 has a ton of energy and pop, and it's you can ski it lazy in the back seat. You can drive the tips really hard. You can push it. It's got a lot of edge hold. I really, really enjoyed um, that Soul 7. And then the, the, the Blizzard Rustler 11 was really good to get back on it because in a basin we sort of had it in softer softer spring conditions and getting it on firmer snow steeper stuff pushing it a little bit harder really brought the ski to life you know it's not demanding by any means but it's really fun and it's got a decently high top end and uh yeah i i I had a great time on that ski just backing up to the the soul seven i just find it hilarious i mean you know we I don't know if it was when we posted up that we had written a first look on it. I think that's maybe what it was, but we just, the comments that come in are so polarizing and people are either like, awesome, that's my favorite ski ever, or like, screw that, that's the worst ski ever. And I I honestly think that the, I really wonder how many of the comments of the like, that's the worst ski ever are coming from people that have actually ever skied the thing um, because like, as I pointed out in that first look, like it is a stiff ski. It is a crazy soft tip. And then the whole thing goes pretty burly actually. Like it is. So these thoughts are like, that thing is a noodle or it's like this wimpy, you know, like flexy wet noodle. It's just not true, you know? Um, and so anyway, I thought, I thought that was pretty interesting, Sam, how much you were clicking with that thing, uh, and I also think that that ski, I mean, I guess that what ha- that's what happens when you gain massive popularity. Um, people start weighing in with opinions, uh, whether they, whether, whether or not it's an informed opinion, they're coming with a strong opinion. Yeah, I mean, haters gonna hate, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I, I mean, the thing that was also interesting to me, Sam, is like you were, 
jumping and kind of tricking on that thing a ton and did not seem to mind this new mount point on the Soul 7, which is at minus 10, right? You, no, you certainly I think, didn't. I think that mount point is why it skis so well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's got this huge amount of tips play, right? And that rocker line starts pretty deep and the tip is really soft. So basically there's no ski in that honeycomb section. Um, it's just sort of for ramming into stuff. But that middle section of the ski where all the camber is, and there's a lot of camber. A lot. But that, that middle section of ski that touches the snow is really stiff. And because of that minus 10 mount point, I can't really get so far forward that I'm flexing into that tip. But I get to use all that camber underfoot and was able to just, like, get a bunch of energy out of the ski. And then even when I wasn't, like, playing around and, you know, doing stuff like that on it, it was really fun to drive the ski hard and take it up to, to higher speeds. Um, it was surprisingly stable. It doesn't have the top end of, you know, some of these stronger directional chargers yeah. for sure. <clears throat> but for 90%, 95% of the people out there skiing, it's going to be hard for them to reach the top end of that ski. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel a little bit validated on that ski after having skied like the version 2.0 where we just said like, you know, there were two recommended mount points on that thing. And I just was like, hey, public service announcement. I really feel like every, like nobody should be mounting forward on that ski. Um, and so it's interesting that Rozzy then on this latest version of the Soul moved the mount point even further back, you know, like another, I think two or three centimeters back. So Sam, I think, you know, I don't really think Rozzy changed up the flex pattern too much per se, but now even if you're driving the ski, you are driving into that, you know, that stable, stiffer midsection of the ski. And as you just said, Sam, you're, you're really not dependent or, or accessing that extremely soft tip basically at all. Yep. Yeah, and I'm excited to get it into softer snow, a little bit deeper snow, and see, you know, once you can actually feel that tip a bit more, see how that be how that behaves. But for now, I'm really psyched on it. And in the conditions we skied in Telluride, I, it was a blast. Yeah. Luke, um, you spent some time on the 174-centimeter line Sakana. Uh, seemed like you were having a pretty good time on it, but but tell us a bit about that ski. Yeah, um, so it, first off, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a pretty unique ski. Um, it has a swallowtail at the end, um, which I didn't notice a whole lot on snow, but it makes it stand out and got plenty of questions in the lift line. Um, <laughs> and then it has a really fat tip. I think it's somewhere around 150 millimeters wide at the tip, uh, and 105 at the waist, and 174 centimeters long. So it's a interesting ski is very different than anything i've been on recently but the first run i don't know if you guys saw me but i was just grinning from ear to ear because it is super fun to carve um pretty tight turns on um a lot of energy at least when i was skiing and i felt like it provided a ton of rebound out of every turn actually caught me a little off guard sometimes getting up to speed and getting a little bit of air in between every turn but yeah just super fun overall um really easy to slash um, any sort of wind lip or side hit or anything like that. Um, and just kind of 
made me look at the mountain in a different way, which sounds cliche, but it really was just nothing like anything I've skied recently. And it was very interesting to spend some time on that. Hmm. And now we also have in hand the 181 centimeter Sakana. So when we head back to Telluride um, in less than two weeks, uh, we'll be doing some A being of the 174 and 181. And I think that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be a very interesting one. Uh, to yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm real psyched to get on that, that 181. Um, I skied a couple laps on the 174 and yeah, I think everything Luke's saying is correct. But a lot of times, especially when getting up to higher speeds, I just felt like I wanted a little bit more length and a little more ski. So I'm excited to, to get on the 181. Yeah. <clears throat> um, my turn. I guess I'll say a couple things about that uh, Renegade 114. Um, you know, first of all, and I I don't want to say too much just because like I do think like I'm getting kind of my sea legs back here um, and felt like much better on day four than I kind of did on day one, and you know just was kind of feeling things out. And but uh, it does feel like a pretty big ski like it's uh, 189 centimeter which by o and 3p standards that means it actually is measuring you know longer than 189 by a little bit uh so it's a legit 189 uh 114 underfoot it it felt big it did not feel like this crazy burly like had to be super game on or you're dead type ski but that ski definitely felt like it wanted some steeper, more open terrain, which is exactly what I think that ski should feel like, you know? And uh, so if you want something to go noodle around at the resort, I don't think that the Renegade 114 and 189 is your ski, uh, but I think some people who want a 114 that is gonna work very well in POW, but who tend to still wanna ski big turns pretty fast in POW, like here you go. And, um, you know, the next day after, after heli skiing, I did ski it in bounds and it still feels really good. I think I do personally want to just play a little bit with the tail and detune that a bit. Uh, but I think that's a, it's not, you know, that's just a dialing into to personal taste. And, um, that's a ski that I definitely could see using as a, inbounds pow ski and especially like inbounds pow day turn to inbounds deeper chop day i think this ski is going to be real fun um so yeah overall like very good initial impressions with kind of uh, my first two days on it um sam back to you Ooh, I get you kinda, another one. you, you kind of cheated i mean you went soul 7 and rustler 11 uh, that's true. That's true. But uh, um, go ahead. I guess I should talk about the uh, the Dictator 4.0. Yeah. Faction Dictator yeah. 4.0. Faction, yeah, the Faction Dictator 4.0. Um, so that is a ski that, you know, we skied the 3.0 a decent amount already. And our takeaway from that thing was that, you know, it's a strong ski. It's a game on ski. It's requires all like full concentration to ski it it is uh it's no joke and the dictator 4.0 is that i think and then some 
granted, it feels the, the ski we have right now feels real locked in and a bit edgy. So I think after Jonathan gets on it a bit more, we're going to detune it and try and wrangle it in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the uh, the spark notes on that Faction Dictator 4.0 is that it is no less ski than the 3.0, and if anything, it might even be more to handle. It's one of the things that we talked about going into this trip that we were going to be looking to AB, like the Renegade ON3P Renegade 114 versus the 114, 115 underfoot Dictator 4.0. And I think kind of initial impressions is these just are not the same ski uh, with maybe one of the significant differences being like the Renegade 114 just has a ton of tip tip splay and a a much deeper tip rocker line than the Dictator 4.0 so I don't I don't really think that people are going to be confused about which one they end up wanting I think there's even after we're done, you know, detuning the 4.0, we're just not going to turn that thing into the best POW ski of all time. It's it is a fatter charger, right? And yeah, um, I'm not, and I'm not sure anyone is really making a ski comparable to that Dictator 4.0 in that waist width. I mean, it's yeah. so powerful. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like that's one of the analogies we ended up using for the 3.0 that it that it's kind of a it's a race car right and i think the line i used in my review of the 3.0 was like in the way that it's stupid to complain that like a true race car doesn't have very plush suspension right like that means you're making sort of a category mistake that's kind of how so far the early impressions of the dictator 3.0 and 4.0 they kind of feel like that it's like if you're looking for a plush ride look elsewhere you know and i think it's gonna be interesting as we get more time on this thing if you know it's just it's almost like its own category no it is it's a ski that no one is making and similar to the race car analogy pretty much no one should be driving a race car around all the time um Hmm. and i think there are very few people who would get a ton of enjoyment out of that dictator four and that dictator three just because unless you want to be game on all the time just like you would if you were driving a race car around the city. It's uh, it's a lot of ski. I mean, when you push it and you're focused and you have the strength, it delivers. And I think the 4.0 delivers more than the 3.0 actually in that sense because it feels like it has a higher top end. That 3.0 never felt like it really wanted to run. Um, and when you're, when you're in that mindset and you're in that headspace, like let's go, let's go, let's go, then that 4.0, it could be really fun. I think my turn. Uh, I actually want to talk about not a ski, but a binding. Um, because so far on Blister, we've had Sam weighing in on the new Solomon slash Atomic Shift binding. I've actually toured on that binding now for a few days, and then I skied it inbounds at Telluride. Uh, and I have to say, Sam started like praising and kind of gushing about this binding quite a bit. And, you know, given my inherent skepticism of anything Sam has to say, (laughs) I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. That's just stupid Sam. I think I'm about ready to gush harder than Sam is. 
that is kind of been the most surprising thing for me so far. But I have loved touring on it so far. Like, you know, and so no, I don't want to get into some conversation. If you're like a total weight weenie and you like going up on bindings that don't weigh anything, I'm not really talking to you right now. But I feel like that thing goes uphill, uh, uphill j- totally fine. I have no complaints about the uphill performance. And the downhill is basically ridiculous, I would say. I, you know, when we skied it, I was skiing it with the shift bolted to a Solomon QST 106. And I was skiing it in my current favorite Head Raptor 140 RS boot with a very heavy zip fit liner, which is kind of my favorite inbounds boot liner setup. And we went and skied hard. And I didn't notice a single bit of difference in in terms of on snow feel. I couldn't tell any difference between that shift bindings downhill performance and skiing the Mark Adjusters or uh, Tyrolean attack bindings that we were skiing the previous days. So I'm I'm mostly just kind of stunned at the moment. Yeah, it's a great binding. I am kind of bummed that you took the QST with that shift because I love that <laughs> setup. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, yes, of course, like the whole point, like we are going to continue to get more time on these things now, you know, more time on them. And we will be spending more time on multiple pairs of them because sure there, there are important questions that still remain. Like after you beat these things, you know, is the long-term durability there and we're formulating those answers and getting time out. But, uh, I was blown away and, you know, we were skiing some pretty steep stuff over in that, zone that I was so happy to get reacquainted with at Telluride, that crystal area and the Genevieve area. And, you know, you're standing on stuff, standing on top of some pretty steep stuff. And there just was no point where I was worried about the binding. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about it. Really. That's exactly how I feel about it. I, after a few hours skiing inbounds, I was just, just forget about it. You just yeah. forget that you're, that you're skiing a weird binding because it's not weird at all feeling. It performs yep. excellently. Yeah, and I think like, so now the other thing for me is that I'm going to be getting on the Fritchie Tecton soon. And so I think that's going to be a whole nother, you know, interesting range of comparisons to be making there. Um, you know, and Sam, I know we don't need to go into it here too much, but I know that you have you've spent the most time on both the shift and the tecton and i know that you continue to say like hey by the way that tecton skis real nice too yeah yeah it definitely does um and and the bindings really aren't apples to apples because the tecton does come in and i think about 150 grams lighter but Mm -hmm. i'm excited to get more time a being the two and and uh and i think honestly i think they're both great bindings yep Luke, what else you got? Um, so the last day we spent skiing all that perfect chalk on Crystal, I was on the Black Rose Damon, um, which I had gotten a couple runs on in A-Basin last spring and definitely wasn't very excited about it. Kind of had the same opinion that uh, Sam had about the Soul 7. Not super stoked to get on it, but 
I was very pleasantly surprised by it, um, especially in that sort of steep terrain. Um, it's a reverse camber ski, 99 under foot, 99 millimeters underfoot. Um, but the rocker line is really mellow and it doesn't have a ton of side cut and just provides a really nice stable platform, um, in that kind of snow. And, um, it was also on clean groomers. Uh, you can get it up to pretty good speeds. And I think Sam and I both came away with the feeling that it just, it feels very smooth. Um, the reverse camber profile and it's got a bit of metal in it, um, provided very good stability on those groomers, which was fun. Um, and then it's also, it's not that demanding of a ski. I haven't been on the old mantra, but, um, a lot of people have been kind of calling it, calling the Damon a more playful mantra. Mm -hmm. Um, it's fairly light, um, and not super burly. Like I was still plenty capable of, uh, bending it into a turn. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by that ski. I had a lot of fun on it actually. Um, which is always nice when you, uh, aren't necessarily on the first one you'd pick, um, but you get get to spend some time on some different skis, and I think uh, getting more time on it will be interesting, um, but as an all-mountain ski, it performed very well. We'll be coming, uh, hopefully publishing our full review of the Damon, you know, shortly, but I wanted... Sam had spent a bit of time on it. I spent the most time on it, but I, I wanted actually, Luke, your opinion on this. Um, just uh you know it's it's not it's not a heavy burly stiff ski and so i think um it it really isn't like a direct it's not an apples to apples comparison with the mantra even though both you know until now we have this new mantra uh both have this kind of same reverse camber profile in their current iterations but i really don't think that somebody who's like should i get a daemon or should i get a mantra ultimately there is a clear answer to that question nobody's going to be like i can't make up my mind you know and i think like somebody who just wants like the more of a directional very strong ski you're going mantra and somebody who wants a that reverse camber profile in a hundred millimeter underfoot package wants a lighter ski a more playful ski like you're going Damon you know there there shouldn't really ultimately be big confusion about which way to go yeah yeah so <laughs> so then is that the segue to the mantra <laughs> I think that might be the segue to the mantra um yeah uh Sam and I spent a good bit of time a being the current bonafide uh, which I know none of you have been emailing to ask about, you know, where the full <laughs> review is on that. <clears throat> um, you know, the current Bonafide versus the new Mantra M5. And so Sam and I did a bunch of A-Bing on that. Um, Sam, I I'm not ready to say, like, we've got our final conclusions on this, but Sam, do you want to share a couple immediate thoughts yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it was really good to get back on the mantra in Telluride after skiing it in Austria a bit. Um, it it did feel different, really. The, the the tune on the skis we had in Austria was so sharp that it was hard to, you know, hash out some of the performance characteristics. So the factory tune on the one that we got that we have now is um, is really nice. And that the mantra M5 has a really cool 
feel to it. It's pretty strong. You know, you can really mm-hmm. drive it hard. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of energy out of a turn. It's got incredible edge hold. Um, it's just fun. It's really fun. I think the thing that the comment that we were making, you know, with as we were swapping skis, we were talking about how good it is in terms of turn initiation that mm-hmm. it was it's a strong ski but it was a ski that just felt really good like getting on edge it wants to it wants to help and get that turn going um it didn't feel hooky to me like at all it just felt solid and i remember skiing just thinking like this ski has I don't know how much, you know, in this case, it was this ski is so dialed or this tune is so dialed, but it felt perfect. Like excellent turn initiation when laid over and carving on groomers, but didn't feel hooky in the least. Like when we were going off piste and skiing bumps or or off piste steeps. Um, Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I can echo that too. And one of the, one of the things that made the ski feel so good as well, going back to that turn initiation, is that you don't have to be going mock speeds to get it into a turn. Um, you know, the Bonafide kind of wants a little more speed to get up on edge and really suck you into that turn, and the Mantra's just happy doing it at a lot a lot slower speeds. But it can also take that you know take the higher speeds that the Bonafide can as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would. I don't know that I would say a lot slower. I mean. It's not like it's not like you have the bonafide and then the mantra is like some slalom ski. Yes, that's totally true. Yeah. A lot might be overstating it. <laughs> yeah. I should talk a little bit about the renowned Endurance 98. I just had a conversation with the founder of Renown, Cyrus Shank. Uh that's over on our Blister podcast. Uh where we were talking about this HDT, hyper damping technology. And I have to say this, uh, this renowned Endurance 98 I got on, one, I am definitely not ready to make any final conclusions here, but it was maybe the most surprising ski I got on uh, while we were in Telluride. This thing felt crazy strong. And I was having trouble. I mean, coming from the 177 Mantra and 180 Bonafide, I was stunned at how much harder that Endurance 98 wanted me to be going to bend the thing and just be initiating turns. And I kept like, we were doing lap after lap and I just kind of kept skiing faster and faster. Uh, But I'm on the... It's 183 or 184 centimeter endurance 98. And that thing felt big. And like, honestly, at my 177, 180 pounds, I felt like at speed, I was not really bending the ski, which is pretty interesting, right? I mean, that's supposed to be the whole point of this HDT technology. And to use, I think, Cyrus's own words, it was that as you get skiing faster and faster, it's like you're adding sheets of metal to the ski. And all I know is, you know, I kept, I kind of just kept skiing and I just kept waiting for longer periods of time for Luke and Sam at the bottom of the run. And I was like, well, if I, you know, go ski even harder, maybe I'll be able to really bend this thing. And to be honest, I kind of am like, 
I should probably be on a shorter version of this ski. Somebody's going to need to be much heavier than I am to really bend this thing in the way that I think you would even on a kind of more normal sort of GS oriented ski. Um, so I don't know. I feel like that probably all sounded super weird, but did that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, listening to that conversation, um, I thought I found your comments super interesting because that's kind of what I expected. Maybe not to that degree, but yeah. since that material is meant to stiffen up as the forces increase, it brings a really interesting variable into like making a turn because mm -hmm. it it's like the ski is changing as you get it up to speed. And yeah, I'm very interested by the technology and um well and it's kind of fascinating to me too that this technology is used in you know these sort of like expert you know advanced expert skis you know head did a similar thing not with non-newtonian polymers with like some other blah 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 whatever on like the older version of the monsters um but i think it's an interesting technology that could be cool in like a more intermediate ski you know um but yeah, I I'm psyched to get some time on that that uh, that endurance and see just uh, how much of a wimp Jonathan was being. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And honestly, I think the question that I'm kind of the question I kind of have right now is, you know, I ski a lot of a lot of the stuff I review. I review in that 184, 185 centimeter length, you know, and this thing is 98 underfoot. So that's not like this ski was longer than something that I'm used to. I've, I've kind of feel like I've skied most, I probably have spent quite a bit of time on most of the competitors in that 100 underfoot class. And there's just, I mean, honestly, I guess it would be the 184 centimeter head monster 98 that if I had to talk about how strong that ski felt um, when really being pushed um, that's maybe the closest thing I can reference. So I, I think the thing that's interesting to me, and again, this is a question, not a conclusion, is, you know, it's a very cool thing if this HDT is doing what it would seem to. And it does seem like it's working because if you flex the tail on that ski, it does not hand flex stiff, right? So there's that stiffness is... <laughs> Like, it, there's no way, like, if, based off the hand flex of that, I forgot to mention that, but based off the hand flex of that tail, you don't flex that thing and think, holy crap, this thing is going to be super burly, you know, but then get on it. And I guess the only question I have is, does this technology then sort of lock you into a pretty big turn shape? Right, Because even when I was trying to really generate big forces and bend this ski, it wasn't really letting me have it, you know? So I, I wasn't really able to, you know, at high speeds decide, all right, I'm going to enter into a series of tighter, tighter radius uh, turns and then maybe I'll decide to open it up and go into like a series of much bigger turns. I kind of was working with one turn shape. And that's, again, why I think, you know, it might be just fair, like, hey, cool, the 184 is, should, like, you should weigh 210 to be on the 184, and I'll, I'll happily step down if, if that's the solution. But that's something that's kind of the big question on, on my 
radar right now is, well, what about, you know, is this just kind of a big GS machine, um, but not necessarily the ski if, if a variety of turn shapes is what you're really into? Well, moving from a renowned Endurance 98 to a fairly different ski, Luke, why don't you wrap things up for us by talking about uh, your initial time on the ON3P Cartel 108? Yeah, so the first day we were in Telluride, they had gotten, um, depending on what aspect you're on, anywhere from like three to eight inches in some spots. Um, and I was out on the new 1819 Cartel 108, um, which ON3P uh, says they made slight changes to the side cut, um, basically going to a standard side cut in the tail and then an elliptical side cut in the front half of the ski. It was uh, previously all elliptical. Um, they say the changes are fairly minor, um, meant to reduce the hookiness in the tail. But um, overall, like I've, I've, the Cartel 108 has been on my radar for a while. Um, Jonathan, you've been on it. Sai's been on it. Um, people praise it for its combination of stability and playfulness, and that's usually what I look for in a ski. So I was really excited to get out on that, and um, was pleasantly. Um, surprised at how well it did. It's a pretty, it was by far the most stable ski I skied that weekend in terms of uh, kind of that twin tip category that are meant to also be very playful um, and did very well in kind of variable snow, um, carved pretty well. It definitely prefers a centered stance, which shouldn't be surprising. The mountain point is minus four from center. Um, but really playful. Um, you can load up the tips really easily, but it has a very supportive tail uh, and definitely looking forward to getting more time on it. Should be getting on it this weekend and in our next Telluride trip. And yeah, I'm not surprised why so many people have kind of come to love that ski. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back uh, on that ski too in Telluride. So uh, don't... Can I ski it too? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. I might lose it this weekend, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool, guys. Well, I think on the site, we already put up uh, a flash review of the Faction Candide 4.0, so you can check that out. Um, and we, uh, we will be presenting a lot more information on some of the other skis we've talked about here. Um, we had a pretty fun time a being actually the soul seven versus the Solomon QST 106, the like tweaked and revamped Solomon QST 106. But so that was fun. I think we're going to save that. We'll talk about that one another time, but, uh, and then, yeah, like the rustler 11, I think we're getting pretty close here to, uh, being ready to put out our full review. We, frankly, we got on, we didn't get that ski till late in into the spring season last year and so for everybody who's been wondering why we haven't said more that's why and uh we you know we don't like to come with a full review till we really feel like we know what the thing can do and uh sam and i both have uh some pretty good things to say about it so um anyway a lot of other things we could talk about but we'll let's shut it down here um and uh yeah that was a super fun trip and again um I'm just super psyched to be skiing again, and you guys were very, very fun to uh, ski with, it turns out. So um, let's go do it again. 
in and like again. less yeah. than two weeks. <laughs> and again, yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, for those of you who didn't make it out to Telluride where we, while we were there, it was fun meeting up with some of you, and uh, hopefully we can meet up with more of you in these, uh, these next two trips. So come on out, and um, yeah, we'll, uh, till then, we'll, we'll talk to you guys later. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Sam and Luke for the conversation, and of course to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. Don't forget to subscribe to this Gear 30 podcast in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we will talk to you again next week.